This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to Skaboom listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash skaboom. That's betterhelp.com slash skaboom. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Fifty years ago, in 1967, in Loving versus Virginia, that the U.S. Supreme Court struck down state laws banning interracial marriage in the United States. The plaintiffs in the case were Richard and Mildred Loving, a white man and black woman whose marriage was deemed illegal, according to Virginia state law. With the help of the American Civil Liberties Union, the Lovings appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which ruled unanimously that so-called anti-miscegenation statutes were unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. The decision is often cited as a watershed moment in the dismantling of Jim Crow race laws. Before then, many Southern U.S. states that historically had made up the Confederacy had laws in place against interracial marriage that were part and parcel of legal segregation and white nationalism. In the 1950s, most Americans were opposed to interracial marriage and did not see laws banning it as an affront to the principles of American democracy. A 1958 Gallup poll showed that 94% of Americans disapproved of interracial marriage. In 1958, the political theorist Hannah Arendt, a Jewish refugee from Nazi Germany who escaped from Europe during the Holocaust, wrote an essay in response to the civil rights struggle that laws banning interracial marriage were an even deeper injustice than the racial segregation of public schools. Arendt argued that the free choice of a spouse was an elementary human right, stating even political rights like the right to vote and nearly all other rights enumerated in the Constitution are secondary to the inalienable human rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness proclaimed in the Declaration of Independence. And to this category, the right to home and marriage 
unquestionably belongs. Since the Supreme Court ruling in 1967, attitudes towards interracial relationships and marriage have radically changed. A 2021 Gallup poll found that 94% of U.S. adults now approve of interracial marriages, up from 87% in 2013. The current figure marks a new high, which spans more than six decades. While generational differences have shrunk, with adults 50-plus nearly as supportive of interracial marriages as younger adults, Just 30 years ago, in the early 90s, only 27% of U.S. adults aged 50 and older approved of interracial marriages. Think about that. If you are a Gen Xer or millennial, there's a good chance that your parents or grandparents were part of the 73% who didn't approve. Popular music has always been ahead of the curve when it's come to social commentary on interracial relationships. There are several songs that come to mind, including Society's Child by Janice Ian, Jungle Fever by Stevie Wonder, and Original Sin by In Excess. But one song about interracial relationships has always stood head and shoulders above the rest. The opening music for this episode is the Matumbi reggae cover of the song Brother Louie from the early 70s. The song had originally been written and performed by UK multiracial funk band Hot Chocolate. Brown, Hot Chocolate's Jamaican-born singer, co-wrote Brother Louie with Tony Wilson, the Trinidadian-born bassist. It's a song about a white man, Louie, who's whiter than white, dating a girl who's blacker than night. Louie introduces the girl to his family and they freak out. He took her home to meet his mama and papa. Louie had a terrible fight. In Hot Chocolate's version of the song, Louie meets her family too and they also disapprove. Louis knew just where he stood. The British blues guitarist Alex Corner shows up on the song playing the parts of both families muttering that he don't want no spook or honky in his family. The song never resolves its conflict, but it's clear that Hot Chocolate is on Louis's side, stating, nothing bad, it was good. While the lyrics aren't terribly sophisticated, they poignantly detail how a couple's relationship can be ruined by the ingrained prejudices and racism of the people around them. Here in the U.S., the band Stories had a number one hit with a funky rock cover of the song. As a child, I remember hearing the song on the radio during the summer of 1973, and like many, I was drawn to its catchy chorus. But when I listened carefully, it became clear that there was something else going on. The haunting song always stayed with me. Why was Louis going to cry? And in the early 80s, as I came of age, another song to rival the themes raised in Brother Louie were released by a two-tone era band. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Two-Tone Legacy, a special audio documentary series of the Ska Boom podcast that focuses on telling the stories behind 10 songs that contribute to the enduring legacy of two-tone music and its ongoing impact on popular culture. I'd like you meet Tommy McGuire and his comrade. 
I went a bit mad for madness in the early 80s. I spent more than I should have on a madness shirt that said, fuck art, let's dance, when I saw them at the Fountain Casino, a small rock club at the Jersey Shore in August 1983. I had to hide the shirt from my mother on laundry day, but I wore it until it fell apart. While the specials and the English beat were breaking ground with their sonic mix of punk and reggae, the Nutty Boys were the cool gang you wanted to be a part of. The way they dressed, joked around with each other, and their dancing was just intoxicating. There was something so appealing about them. I also liked that they pissed off older music writers like Real Marcus, who condescendingly called them the Blues Brothers with English accents. What Marcus overlooked was that despite all their silly jocularity, the band's string of sing-along hit songs were interspersed with songs about social ills like depression, poverty, and homelessness. And then there's Embarrassment, the single from the band's second album, Absolutely, which went to number four in the UK charts. On first listen, it's hard to tell what Embarrassment is actually about. Like Brother Louis, it sounds harmless enough, but strip away the music and you're left with lyrics to tell the chilling story of a young white woman who has been rejected by her family because she's carrying a black man's baby. How can you show your face when you're a disgrace to the human race? What? Who is a disgrace to the human race? Have a listen to the live version of the song from the show I saw in August 1983. This is called Embarrassment. Just the other day Don't you seem they wanna know you no more They've laid it down, given you their score Within the first two lines, it meant that you went Good enough to come and see, that's the home Shoulder. The 
As it turns out, the song was written by Madness saxophone player Lee Thompson in response to the news of his 17-year-old sister Tracy's pregnancy by a black man. Written while on tour in 1980, just as the band were starting to break big, embarrassment sketches Thompson's impressions of the unfolding turmoil as his relatives learned about his sister's pregnancy. Thompson recalled the situation that prompted him to write the song during an interview with the BBC in 2005, saying, It was just not accepted in those days. She was shunned by a few people in the family. My father tried to talk her into getting it terminated. My sister dug in her heels, and I was caught in the middle, wanting everyone to be happy. Paul Williams, author of You're Wondering Now, the specials from Conception to Reunion, who was a young rude boy in the early 80s, shared his memories of Madness and the song with me. Um, Again, Madness, sometimes dismissed as a bit of a novelty band by, you know, purists and elitists of of the scene, of the scar scene, and in England specifically, but um, absolutely not. Very, very clever, very clever musicians and and an act. And, um, you know, they've done a lot of political stuff that people don't seem to realise is political, which is... I suppose a success in a way, um, and you know this is this track embarrassment is complete, you know social commentary, you know about um, racism within the family and racism as a whole really, uh, and people's uh, attitudes, outdated attitudes as they are now, of course. But um, but yeah, um, and it's the lyrics, you know, um, are straightforward, um, and you can hear, and, and you just you can you can. It, paints a great picture in the head as well does this um but you know it wasn't i'll be honest you know when i first heard it i didn't realize what it was about it's only when you get older you realize what it's about uh, and now very clever madness were dressing up there's also you know it's the one thing i do like about madness is that they're not they weren't scared of branching out you know of, of, of their of their field you know i mean ska music in general is a field uh, same with any genre really is a genre where you should be able to move around fluidly without really being chastised from for doing something different and a man's very much different but this is an absolute stomper it's 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 a great it's a you know people love it at, at, at um, events playing through the big sound systems and stuff but you know there's also a lot of their own personal influence see man's are very big fans of more town and things like that and for me pure Motown this absolutely pure Motown um, and you can hear it all the way through it and the stomp and the bit of a northern soul thing on big brass um, but yeah but again you know as is, as is with the two-tone ethos you know a political message wrapped up in in a great tune, which is what Two Tone and the bands around it do best. You know, to, you know, we've spoken about Nelson Mandela and things like that. That is what we're talking about. And um, yeah, hats off to Manus. I really, I think, you know, it's what a perfect track. It's got everything that a great record should have. It's got lyrics um, that are biting without over being sort of forcing it down your throat so to speak but a very concise um yeah perfect this is pure madness pure pop pure brilliance fantastic Thompson, his sister Tracy, and her daughter Haley, the inspiration for Embarrassment, all shared their memories about the song with the BBC. Here's Haley. 
My name's Hayley Richards, and it was my impending arrival on this planet that inspired a big hit in the 80s. My mum was that embarrassment. She was white, my dad was black, and she was pregnant with me. My uncle Lee is the mad cap saxophonist from Madness, and he wrote the lyrics to the song. This top ten hit was about how my uncle felt about the family's reaction to my mother's pregnancy. Here's Thompson. The lyrics to the song Embarrassment. Yeah. Pretty strong stuff. You're a disgrace to the human race. Yeah, that was a bit harsh, wasn't it? It had to it had to hit home, particularly in the area that I lived. Some of the reactions and attitudes to mixed race wasn't nice at all. Um, and fortunately, I was in a position to have a, a, my pop back. Here's Tracy and Haley together. How was it going to be like having a mixed race baby? Because I did get the odd, dirty look, certain comments. Well, Uncle Lee felt that he was a little bit brutal with the lyrics. What do you think? I think he wrote what more than likely my mum and dad were thinking. My mum was a bit of, yes, Mrs. Bouquet. She would worry about what the neighbours Definitely, think. definitely. But after I was born, any embarrassment soon faded. I had an aunt who couldn't have children who wanted to adopt you. And Nanny and Grandad wanted to bring you up. They absolutely adored you. But I didn't want none of it. I wanted to bring up my own baby. Finally, here's Thompson and Haley on what the song means now, 40 years later. So when I hear the song Embarrassment all the time, I'll shout, it's this is my song. It's about me. How do you feel about it now? If I could turn back time, I'd, I'd spend more time on the lyrics and not be so harsh on my family. But in no way uh, am I embarrassed about writing embarrassment or do I have any, any regrets. And um, same here. I feel proud of it. The lyrics are true. The members of Madness shared their memories about the writing and recording of embarrassment with the Seven Ragged Men website. Thompson said... When we got to the studio, the lyrics still weren't finished, and I was still adjusting them as Suggs was about to go in and do the main vocal. It was right up to the knuckle, and I was getting quite anxious. Would it get done? Would it have to wait until the next album? But I just locked in and gave some words to Mike. I think I only sent him half of them on a cigarette packet and a napkin, but by the next day, he'd worked a tune out to go with them. Mike Barson said... It was really dodgily written on a bit of paper you could easily have lost. I have a feeling if I'd mislaid that bit of paper, the song would have never gotten done. Lee Thompson said, It wasn't really finished when I gave it to Mike, and I was still lost for the last two lines of the third verse. But by the time I could think of anything that was good enough, our glorious leader had already recorded the song with his own lyrics. Cheers, Suggs. Although it annoyed me, our stiff schedule had a record to keep, so I didn't want to make a big thing out of a small problem. In hindsight, I'd wish I had more time to spend on it. But then how long's a piece of rope? I've still got the actual lyrics I wrote in the studio with tea stains all over it, bits rubbed out, a burnt corner, a fag hole in it. Woody Woodgate said, I thought it was beautifully written. It was very descriptive and not judgmental about anyone. Sugg said, 
The specials would be writing stuff like Racist Friend, but we'd do something like this instead. We weren't waving banners. We were talking about those issues, but in a slightly more abstract way. It's still one of my favorites. People think our songs is being perfectly pop, but musically, it doesn't have a chorus, and it's kind of unusual. The chord changes take you up and down and around and around. It's deceptively simple, with a very long sax solo and quite dark lyrics, but catchy nonetheless. But lyrically, it's fantastic. It's very real, and I suppose it's the ultimate madness song, because it's kind of funny, but really quite dark. The music's much jollier than the lyrics. We also tried to sound like a Motown band, but failed miserably, which is in itself quite charming. Lee Thompson said, It was certainly a step up in terms of our songwriting. The songs before we had My Girl for the Girls, Baggy Trousers for the Boys, and One Step Beyond, where we taught everyone how to dance without their handbags. I was really flattered when Paul Weller put it in his top five songs of all time. Chris Foreman said, Many years later, I was in Air Studios and Weller said, I've done this song, it's a bit like Embarrassment, and it turned out to be a town called Malice, which is also a great tune. Finally, the last word on Embarrassment goes to Pauline Black, lead singer of The Selector, who said of the song, Embarrassment was the only Madness track that I could really relate to because it's about a mixed-race kid in a family who's a bit of an embarrassment. It completely related to my upbringing as a mixed-race kid within a white family who was adopted. Every time we went anywhere, my existence always had to be explained and was prefaced with, she's adopted, you know, to avoid any embarrassment. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Legacy of Two-Tone. I want to thank my co-producer and engineer, Rob George, for making me sound good, and to Paul Williams for his contribution. My book, Ska Boom, is available from DeWolf Publishing, at thewolf.com, that's D-I-W-U-L-F.com, as well as on Amazon. Thanks for listening, and take care.